0: Hi, I'm Garth Hand. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Cotney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders.
1: It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Ravel.
2: Volvo's unveiled. I think everyone's sort of turned around and started to follow a bloody
0: Volvo driver. And there's a new sheriff in town. (laughs) A new sheriff? I haven't heard that word yet, but yeah. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the
1: races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8
0: Supercar coverage. Out now. Jason Barguana is the new driving standards observer, and we asked him if rubbing is racing or he has a no-touching philosophy.
2: I, I think as in principle, I'm a, we know the rules, uh, they're black and white, the area where I step in is where it's grey and uh, we'll interpret every incident as
3: it comes along but um, I encourage racing, I love racing I've loved it for years and I, my passion has always been about racing but in terms of um, where we go with the, with the interpretation of those rules is something I'll sit down with the drivers and we'll work out
0: Rod Nash, co-owner of FPR, told the V8 Insiders that V8 Supercars is looking to return to 28 cars as soon as possible And the series wants teams to regionalise, which potentially could see a team once again based in Sydney.
2: Look, I mean, there's all sorts of synergies that I think you're going to see roll out in the next couple of years um, around that sort of uh, basis um, because uh, I think having representation um, uh, in uh, geographical areas with uh, tourism and everything else, I mean, we've seen over in Abu Dhabi, I mean, Abu Dhabi wanted us there because they're building tourism for when the black stuff runs out so um, we, we should be doing the same so in geographical locations that you know you can have uh, you know an actual team representing under some kind of um, format I think it's very strong on um, on how you can you know twist what we do and uh, and then you know you, you, you get that localized branding Townsville was probably a good example of that except the Townsville thing never emerged of having a, an actual represented team but that was how Townsville started um, and uh, I think there's plenty of scope in the future for, um, you know, something like that to, to happen for sure.
0: You can hear more from Rod Nash on this week's White Flag Lap. Gary Rogers talks to the VAD Insiders about the fans' reaction to his new Volvo squad. Well, the reaction, super. I mean, obviously we're all proud of it because we've done the hard work and i suppose if we're not proud of it we've got a real problem but the um attention that we're getting from the public uh, i think is super i mean people really when we made this decision it was a big decision for for us to change uh, because we'd sort of been recognized as holding men for so long uh but as i've said many times really you know if we remained in the business we had to get someone and, and, and volvo would just been fantastic i mean and now what the thing I'm really pleased about is the awareness that the public have got and they keep talking about it. So, yeah, to me it's a big positive for the team. Obviously onwards and upwards for the rest of the season. Well, onwards and there'll be some upwards but there'll be some downwards too. So let's deal with that on each occasion, enjoy the good bits and put up with the bad. Tony Dalberto is trying to get on the grid this year but last weekend he was driving the super cheap Autos Commodore. He told us why.
2: The only reason I'm driving with Tim today is because I can't reach the pedals in any other cars.
0: <laughs> in the HRT garage here at Clipsal, but I know the hopes of having your own car onto the track or being in your own car on the track is uh, still not out of the reach.
2: No, it's still a possibility, and uh, that's what we're working towards at the moment. It may, it may be getting slimmer by the day, but um, while there's an opportunity, we'll keep pushing for that.
0: Obviously, getting track time is always important.
2: Yeah, very important. Um, obviously, with last year we had an alliance with Walkinshaw and been good enough today to give me a few laps in Tim's car. And um, you know, all was failing. I, I've got to find myself a good enduro seat. So um, maybe, uh, maybe a drink and. Um Give me a seat there.
0: Jonathan Webb spoke about how close his team was to remaining a two-car operation.
4: Look, from from our point of view, we were you know, fairly committed early on that we're just going to go back to one. I wanted to concentrate on a few other things. As everyone knows, we had a few changes as far as management was concerned last year. I wanted to get in and try and tidy up a little bit of that mess want to spend some more time building the performance side of the business, even with it just sitting there ticking over in the background, it's uh, it's going really, really well for us. And I'm very passionate about that side of the business as well as the racing. So Now with the opportunity to step back and you know, build the team up again, build the, race, the performance side up, got my first kid coming. Um, yeah, it's it's actually been, I think from my side, a really good thing. You know, I've had so much to do. I'm kind of glad I'm not having to drive a race car today with everything else that's been going on. My, my head's in... Uh, in work mode and not in drive mode and that was a bit of the problem towards the end of last year. I just you know, had trouble sort of switching and changing between and um, yeah, I obviously can't do two things at once.
0: Scott Pye has made the move to Dick Johnson Racing this year. He spoke about his feelings ahead of what will be his sophomore year. Hey, you know, every uh, first official test, I guess, of the new season, everyone says how, you know, they got a new bounce in their step or whatever and uh, and for me, you know, I. I can't emphasise that enough. You know, obviously last year was so tough. Uh, the change in manufacturer, obviously, you know, is not uh, a reason for my change or anything like that. But it's fantastic now to be in Ford. You know, it's a, you know, it's a brand that actually my family, my dad, supported a lot growing up. So it's obviously difficult for me not to, to support them as well. So it's nice to be to be driving one now. But you know, obviously Dick Johnson Racing as well wow. is such an iconic team. It's it's a, an honour really to be to be driving for them. And uh, and you know, so far today the testing's been tough. Conditions are changing a lot, but you know I'm itching to just get back in the car and do more and more laps. Finally, V8X magazine is on sale with a Clipsal event preview and the history of the Clipsal and V8 supercars at the Adelaide Grand Prix, as well as new columnist Gary Rogers and what happened to the tracks the V8 calendar forgot. It's on sale now in stores, online, and check out the great new V8X app at v8x.com.au. On this week's roundtable, Ben Beasley and Lachlan Mansell look at the test day and what it really achieves. That's the news on the V8 Insiders, brought to you by NOBRAC Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au.
1: News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au, or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
0: Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. From BAM Media, it's Ben Beasley. Good evening, Ben. Hey, Craig. And from Veracity Media, it's Lachlan Mansell, although... It's only a week or so until you're at Wakefield Park.
5: Yeah, good day, Craig. Good day, Ben. Been um, a western week now until I finish up at Racing Media and head on to the next challenge in my life. Is the event from over at Wakefield Park? But great to be on the show as always.
0: Well, the test day, Ben. Did we learn anything from it, or is everyone playing so much ducks and drakes that it's really not worth it as a uh, exercise in knowing where people are at
3: well the one thing was it was it was a day for ducks because it was really really wet it's a real shame because um you know i think people wanted to see if anybody had some speed there were teams who were genuinely wanting to know where their where their pace was at um but obviously the wet weather foiled that i mean i I have heard that one of the things is at the end of the day you know it it always comes back to your tire bank and what you've got up your, your sleeve to really go testing with I think some teams did want to show some pace as well because there is going to be a round at Sydney Motorsport Park later in the year. But overall, did we learn a heck of a lot? Uh, It's it's just too hard to say, mainly because of the weather.
0: It's always tough when it is raining at any test day to really get any value out of it, except for the fact that it might rain in, I think it's August, when they're there, Lockie.
5: That's exactly right, Craig, and you're always very hesitant to read too much into the sort of form that you see in the test day simply because, as Ben pointed out, you don't know what tyre condition everybody was running. You don't know if some teams had different programs to others. So, for example, the drivers who ended up at the top of the time may have run new soft tyres. Other teams may have stayed on hard tyres, used hard tyres all day. You just don't really know what sort of programs all the teams were running to and throwing the wet weather as well. That makes it even harder to get an accurate read of where everyone was at. Good opportunity, though, to see all the new cars in their new liveries on display. And I think the other thing, good opportunity for a couple of the rookie drivers, and especially Robert Dahlgren, who's not used to driving powerful V8 rear-wheel drive cars to get some experience not just in the drive but in the wet-weather conditions as well, because I'm sure that there's going to be a big contrast between the Volvo V8 that he'll be racing here and the front-wheel drive Volvos that he's raced overseas in the Swedish and World Touring Car Championships.
0: It's also interesting, Ben, that we had a situation where not all the cars turned up in their full livery and Walkinshaw Racing, super cheap Auto Racing and has decided that it's too busy to go with a livery launch before the test day, so we'll wait until before Clipsal.
3: Yeah, definitely a strategy there. I think also that's got a lot to do with their two drivers being South Australians and they want to make a bit of a splash of the week of that race. In reality, I think a lot of teams get a little bit, um, you know, trying to use this one week to launch everything You know, it it all gets in a bit of the road of each other. We had a situation where, you know, you had Red Bull Racing and FPR. They were both in Sydney at different locations, launching at exactly the same time. You know, I think some teams could be a little bit smarter and go, you know, a week or, you know, the team that's probably going to go, you know, mid-January can own three or four weeks of um, people seeing what their cars are going to look like.
0: The other thing is, Lockie, that teams are... Are really up in the air trying to lock down sponsorships and everything, but some teams were still trying to get stickers on the car when they were about to have their launch.
5: That's right. There were still some last-minute sponsorship deals falling into place, um, commercial arrangements being finalised. It's no secret that um, the start of this season's probably been maybe a bit less organised in terms of, you know, some not even sure whether they're going to be on the grid or not uh, this season. So, um from that perspective, I think uh, some of the teams will try and buy themselves some time. In the case of Walkinshaw Racing, I think Ben's hit the nail on the head with that one. Obviously, being involved in the company that does the PR, Super Cheap Auto Racing. We just got decided great opportunity um, also to uh, engage the fans via some online social media activities, which is uh, a bit of a, a plug, I suppose, for one of our major clients in that uh, fans get the opportunity to... Um, actually get onto the team Facebook page from the launch as well
0: mm. it, it certainly is a cluttered period of time and when you consider that Red Bull had everything locked in place at uh, at Darwin when I when we spoke to Jamo um, up there, the rest of the teams I don't think were able to be that organized and I, I guess that's the difference between being the milestone team and the benchmark team Ben and uh, everyone else
3: well also you don't forget we weren't racing that la- last year all that long ago. So, um, you know, to to change commercial arrangements. And then a lot of these teams as well, even with their drivers, you know, had um, guys who couldn't do anything until after the 1st of January. Um, you know, the classic Will Davison situation, although you know, everyone knew who he was going there, and that sort of to Erebus, but uh, he wasn't supposed to talk. And then they also then tried to do a a situation where he wasn't uh, until really just prior to the delivery launch could he really speak to the media. So, you know, some, some weird and wonderful ways of um, thinking how you're going to get the publicity. And then in a in, always in a cluttered sporting market, you know, you, you're trying to not just get the most out of your V8 coverage but also up against some other sports, which even at this time, you know once every four years you get the Winter Olympics. And uh, there's another thing to worry about, and uh, whoever would have thought back in November that the Australian cricket team would be on top of the world again <laughs> as well to dominate the sporting pages. So it's a lot of things that the best laid plans, but, uh, you know, Clipsall has come around really, really quick. I, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago that we were all in Sydney for the end of the year, and then you go and Christmas was literally a week or two later, and then you sort of get back into it, and then the championship's on again.
0: Mm. And, of course, one thing that just fascinated me, and it's almost like, well you didn't even have to ask which team it was, Lockie, that turned up at the racetrack with the wrong diff ratios. And of course (laughs) uh, uh, when everyone said, well it's a go, hmm, does that constitute some sort of pit lane screw up?
5: Uh, I'm not sure if it's a pit lane screw up, but certainly it is a screw up, no question about that. And to their credit, they were able to fly the correct diff ratios up through Melbourne to get them in the car for the afternoon session, but pretty embarrassing start to the season for them. Last year, it seems that uh, they managed to avoid all their pit lane screw-ups to win Bathurst. This isn't, for them at least, a sign that they've gone back to their old ways of the past.
0: It was funny seeing Gavin Bullis, uh, when I was talking to him, saying, I've got to race out the airport. And you're going, what could you possibly want in the middle of the test day at the airport? But, uh, Ben, there you go. It It was key ratios.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I guess when they said they had all the parts lined up, and they said this is the one for the test, maybe they're, they're, they thought well, which test? <laughs> <laughs> and the test is normally they test at Winton, so mm. they had the wrong yeah um, final drive ratio in the um, in the gear in the well, what what is the gearbox or the, the transaxle in the back? So, um, you know, I guess the wet weather um, sort of um, also maybe helped them a little bit with that, but uh, certainly a, a pretty Decent sized error, but uh, as they say, whether it's supercars or footy, you know, um, get your errors done in the pre and get them all right when the when the real when the real stuff starts.
0: Mm. Do we know anything? Uh, can we take anything from it? The fact that Brad Jones Racing was fastest. I know last year everyone went, oh, Brad Jones Racing fastest, but everyone was playing ducks and drakes. But right throughout the year, they genuinely had speed all year.
3: Yeah, they do, and I think um, no big surprise. And also, you know. You have a look. They've really started to get some consistency, not just you know with their speed. Probably their third car has always been the one that's sort of been changing around with drivers. But you know you've had Fabian and Brighty there for a few years now, and obviously the engineering groups there. But also they are a customer sort of operation in all sense of the word. You know that they are, you know with chassis and um, engines from from you know different suppliers and stuff like that. They really do pick the be- what they believe is the best of um, what's available. And, um, you know, when they are on the pace, they are generally one of the top teams, you know, in the races. They just this year, I guess, need to, you know, be that magic word is consistent that um, a bad weekend, you know, a A bad weekend is, you know, when you're still in the top five. Um, and uh, obviously their regular weekends are then trying to win races. And BJR are probably the teams that one of the teams that needs to go and do that. I think everyone always talks about who's going to challenge Triple Eight in terms of you know the FPRs and some of the others, but I think Brad Jones um, Racing operations got every reason to feel confident going into this season.
0: Mm. Lucky, your thoughts? Yeah,
5: I think what Brad Jones Racing lacks in maybe the absolute financial clout of a Triple Eight race engineering or Walkinshaw Racing, they very much make up for in their intelligence and also their optimization, I think you could say, of everything that they have. And as Ben pointed out, as a customer operation, they're able to go around and pick and choose what they believe are the best components. So and they've got a mixture of um, everything from a number of different component suppliers, and last year first year of the car of the future or new generation V8 supercars as it's now known, they were able to put that together very effectively especially early in the season when we saw both Fabian and um, Brighty winning quite a few races I think as the season went, they didn't quite develop their cars as quickly as the, the better backed teams but certainly it's a very, very intelligent bunch of uh, engineers and personnel there at uh, Albury and um, if they've managed to uh, peg back a bit of that crowd in the off-season then I can see them being very competitive once again in 2014. Mm.
0: Well, we need to take a break here on the V8 Insiders, but plenty more when we return.
1: Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders.
3: Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders.
0: Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Ben Beasley and Lachlan Mansell joining me, Craig Ravel. And guys, one guy who was testing in the super cheap autos car, but as you heard in the news, it was only because that was the only seat to pedal configuration that he could reach. That, of course, was Tony Dalberto. And lucky he's still trying to make the grid at Adelaide. Trying
5: hard, isn't he, by all reports, to find enough backing to land a second seat in probably a techno auto sports Commodore. Um, But from what I I understand, it all boils down to a simple dollars-and-cents equation. If they can get the financial support, then there's a very good chance they will be there, and if they can't, then they probably won't. V8 supercars have said that, yes, if there's late entry, then it will be accepted. So now the ball is in the Dalberto court to uh, come up with the necessary dollars-and-cents.
0: And Ben, the magic number's about two million, isn't it? Oh uh, yeah, there's lots of magic numbers, and um,
3: that's a pretty big magic number, you know. And look, to be honest, in reality, um, here we are um, just prior to that race. And to be fair, even on Techno, who are Queensland based, to you know, there must be a deadline of um, you know at least you know five days out from the race because they've got to. Pack everything up and go down, and, and in reality, are they really preparing a car just in case, all that sort of stuff? Crewing it, you know, yeah, I just I can't see it happening. Um, and maybe Tony is better off, you know, taking a very good co driving seat in the, um, in the endurance races. Um, you know, he, we're talking about the super cheap car, and if he ends up being along Tim Slade, who, you know, is a very good driver and the team is, um, you know, going to come together quite well there. Or do you sort of take together a you know a late put together operation um, for the other races as well? It sounds like a financially a pretty easy decision that they would need to make is um, to you know con- concentrate and, and get Tony Wright to be part of a, a pretty good endurance campaign.
0: So if we agree, the field at Clipsal will be 25 cars. How long do you think it'll stay there, Ben? Oh, you know, they're talking about the
3: new TV deal next year and hopefully, you know, maybe some time off can give some people some time to, um, you know, generate some um, sponsorship leads and all that sort of stuff. I think, like I said, it gets back down to I think the season is too long. You know, um, it's a a big commitment for people to make, um, both in terms of the team and then also sponsors to come in. You know, most sponsorships you're sort of talking about in for the next year, you know, have to be really locked away in around you know August September type of time, and then uh, when you're still sort of racing and competing and trying to save your money as well as um, you know be successful in the races, that's that's a difficult thing. The one thing they have announced in plenty of time is the new TV deal for next year in terms of you know that it's going to go back to uh, a, a shared arrangement with Fox Sports and Channel 10. Um, there is talk that um, uh, by the clips all weekend we'll know exactly what arrangement for channel 10 is going to be to be fair right now channel 10's um focuses on the uh, on winter olympics they've probably got all their sports executives and that over in russia anyway so you know could we expect that around adelaide um ideally that's sort of time frame they're talking then people really will know the lie of the land and then if you've got to go and uh, do a sponsorship deal and whatever that sort of thing you know at least you know what you what you're trying to sell um in terms of what's going to be on the television and maybe some teams will come back, maybe it'll be even a little bit tougher. And, and in a sport where damage, you know, crashes and that can cost you a lot of money, for some of those teams that are down the back, you know, they, uh, by the end or the second half, certainly the last quarter of the season, you know, it's pretty tough financially, that's for sure.
0: Mm, Lockie, your thoughts? I
5: think the one thing that we can't overlook here, Craig, was the fact that Car of the Future, when it was introduced, was supposed to make the sport significantly cheaper than what it was in terms of both the costs to build cars and the maintenance costs. When we've got now the lowest number of cars on the grid that we've had in over a decade, you have to raise the question, has Car of the Future really achieved its objectives in terms of reducing the costs in the sport? And you'd have to say, based on the evidence, that the answer to that question is no, because you know, it's a worrying sign when the, the grid is not full. There are three licences out there that V8 Supercars would like to be in the hands of people who can be there with cars on the grid and people are not chewing up to buy those licences or, or be running cars with them. So, look, I think it will be healthier. I think, as Ben said, with the TV deal already being locked in for next year, that puts the teams in a better position to negotiate with sponsors for next year and beyond so I think the other question that you have to ask is, if the seal does increase again, will it be existing teams expanding to running more cars, or will it be completely new teams entering the sport? Now, we've already heard the reports about Roger Penske, or Ron Penske, depending on which publication you read, being interested in entering the sport next year. Um, you know, that's a strong possibility, are there any local operations that would have the budget to put together the infrastructure to run in the V8 supercars? Not quite sure about that one. So I suppose it's just the case of having to wait and see. Mm.
0: Interestingly, what Rod Nash said in the news there is they really want to get teams regionalised. So a Sydney team will be high on their agenda, Ben.
3: Yeah, but I mean, somebody's got to pay for it. And I think, you know, if it, if great, everyone has great ideas, but... Who, who, you know, who's going to pay for it. But the fact is that um, teams are generally, you know, the Gold Coast or the Melbourne and Brad Jones, you know, bucks the trend there, um, being in Albury, but to run, you know, if you have a look at the size of the facilities, um, the cost of living, there's a good reason why, you know, teams are based where they are. You know, um, being in Sydney would be a, a huge, huge um, undertaking and, and, again, who's going to fund it?
0: Mm. Well, if you're looking at cost of living, you wouldn't be in Melbourne, would you? You'd be like uh, Brad Jones Racing out at Albury where you've got good access to airports and uh, also to the highway.
3: Yeah, and and they've made no bones about it. You know, they actually attract people there because they can say, hey, we'll pay you, you know, probably can't pay you the top dollar what, you know, these Melbourne teams are offering, but for cost of living and all the rest of it, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very affordable um, way to run a race team. You're, <laughs> you're always going to be 10 minutes from the workshop, no matter where you live in Albury these days. With um, you know the road system, in terms of the freeway, goes through the middle of it, and um, you know you're only an hour down the road to go testing at Winton. And then also, I think for the um, if you have a look at the K's that um, their trucks have to do, they're actually the less because they're sort of um, part, you know a third of the way up to Sydney to go that way, or even up north. So you know. You know, if you're going to talk about regional-based teams, you know, probably Aubrey, Aubrey could one day become the true mecca of motorsport in this country.
0: Well, I was thinking Wakefield Park now when Lockie gets there, guys. Uh, <laughs> just, just had to, uh, just had to ask. You mentioned the TV deal before, uh, Lockie. First to you. If Channel Ten only shows six races live and the rest on delay, with of course all-day live coverage on Fox, is that going to be to the detriment or to the betterment? of v8 supercars and, and motorsport in general I, I think not
5: having the races live on free-to-air televisions not ideal for the spectators but having said that we don't have the final details yet and i don't think the final package is going to be as bad as what a lot of people are making it out to be if for example the races are only delayed by by half an hour or, or even a couple of hours then it's really like what it used to be when the series was telecast on Channel 10 in the past, isn't it, where the races used to be on in the afternoon. So I, I really don't think that it's going to be that bad as what people are making out, and I still think that, especially with the extra dollar value of this new TV deal for the teams, I think overall it's going to benefit the sport.
0: 20 years ago, Ben, Peter Brock said to me we should just film it all on Sunday and then show it on Monday night. Monday night football in the uh, in the uh, northern states and, well, of course, and down in Victoria is uh, certainly going to put a pay to that idea, but it's certainly not a bad idea.
3: Yeah, I, I think what it all comes down to, and that's sort of, if you have a look at it, it's if Channel 10 can get out now and then they can get some decent, um, you know, commercial backing, they'll put it on when they want to put it on. So, um, you know... There's also, I think, we, we're still getting a little bit confused when they keep saying Channel 10 showing it, Channel 10. They've got one. They've got, they're have got multi-channel. So, uh, you know, no different to what they've been doing. It's just what channel are you going to see it on. But I think, you know, um, what you will see on, on, you know, Fox Sports and Speed is absolutely everything, and that's what they're guaranteed. Absolutely. They, you know, they're going to be on from Friday showing practice and all that sort of stuff. I would be interested to see how they're going to um, maybe change up the, um, the scheduling for next year in terms of, you might find that on um, um, a Friday afternoon the V8s might not be on track until 2 o'clock. But guess what? They're going to be on for two solid hours of practice because that makes sense for speed in their television. Hmm. And then on the Saturday it will all be you know, pretty much again sort of squeezed up but they'll be showing you other, cl- other categories, that sort of thing. And then, you know, the Channel 10 that you might see might literally, like Grand Prix style, switch five minutes before and then it's on. So that's what you get the free-to-air, but you don't get all the other stuff. And uh, that's maybe how it's going to work. I, I actually still think they're still trying to really um, uh, work out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And, um, if, and the big thing once again comes down to commercially what makes the most sense for them.
0: And really, I you think... Can- Sorry, Lachie. Sorry, Craig.
5: If, um, if what Ben said there is right and they are going to have two solid hours of practice on a Friday afternoon so that it can be shown on Fox, then my heart breaks for the poor commentators who have to try and call two hours' worth of practice and make it interesting.
0: <laughs> I, I've got to say that it, I think the camps are going to come down to... I have, I have Fox, I have pay TV, I've had it for a long, long time. And so if the supercars are on there... I'm going, great, I've already got it, and uh, I'm already getting value for it, I'm going to get more value. It's really the people who don't have Fox that are the ones that are are going to feel feel left out in this deal. Now, quite frankly, the advantage of having Fox, in my opinion, is you don't have to skip through 14 different channels in one afternoon to make sure you get the whole race.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Let's just wait until what they, they're going to announce. Um, I, I just... Some of the, the announcements of late from V8 Supercars, they just come out as a press release and it's done. And it's like, well, okay, well... we'll, we'll and, and there'll be no further comment. <laughs> Hang on, like... Um, I remember a bloke who used to run V8 Supercars and loved to be in front of the camera and loved to talk to the media and, and all this sort of stuff. You know, and Tony Cochrane. say... Yeah, I mean, at Clipsal 500 and two or three other times during the year, he just used to say, "Okay, media conference, Tony Cochran, go away, blaze away, ask me the questions, all that sort of stuff." Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think the the powers that be that run supercars this year, you know, um, uh, in, at the moment, you know, don't want to face the media and ask and get asked those questions, you know, and I think that's where a lot of this. Um, Talk of you know who's the, what, what is the real story? Well, why don't you get out there and, and face the media and tell them, mm. or, or, let, or let yourself be asked those questions instead. You know, of just here's a statement, that's it. Oh, we're on holidays now. You know, that just seems to be how it is. Um, if you want to stop speculation and stuff like that, well, get yourself and let yourself be um, responsible to the media and not say a prepared statement or a spokesman for V8 Supercar said. You know, the bloke who used to run the show wasn't afraid to talk. Um, Talk up his sport, and that was what Tony Cochran was always very good at. So maybe these guys today should, um, you know, have a look at how it used to be when it was really successful.
0: Of course, that was the chairman of V8 Supercars, and this is uh, one of my questions, and I think Ben, you you would agree with me here. They haven't announced to the chairman of V8 Supercars is since the uh, since the death of uh, James Strong, which is
3: twelve months ago. Hmm. You know, <laughs> um, so. Um, I mean, I always thought, you know, if you have a look at other sports, and you gotta, you know, this is, I know it's, I know it's about supercars, but you gotta look at sports. I mean, Andrew Demetriou, who is the CEO, he's not the chairman, he's the CEO of the AFL, has probably, he's the highest profile sporting administrator in this country, and you know what? He holds a media conference two or three times a week. I know football is paid every week, but he's not afraid to get on the front foot and, you know, ask me the tough questions and all that sort of stuff. Gives himself a profile. He gives his sport a profile. That's the other thing. So, you know, I just think that's what they should be doing in V8 supercars as well. And I, I have a close look at how Mike Helton runs NASCAR as well. He is on the front foot all the time.
0: And, lucky I, I don't know how many times Neil Mitchell has asked to speak to James Warburton or his predecessors.
5: Um, no, I, I honestly don't know either. But to his credit, James Warburton, from what I'd seen so far is doing a very good job as CEO, and he came into the sport in a pretty tricky position to handle from a number of different perspectives, not least of all the economic situation of Australia as a country. And so far, he's had to make quite a few tough decisions, but he hasn't been afraid to make them. Maybe he prefers to be the sort of person who works in background rather than going after necessarily big media exposure for himself. But so far, he's shaping up some very pretty good leadership material.
0: Mm, It's an interesting topic, which we've run out of time to discuss further, but I'm sure we can pick it up again another time. Ben Beasley, thanks very much for joining us here on the V8 Insiders.
3: Hey, let's look forward to all. Let's uh, get the cars on the track and and see where we're really at.
0: Mm, Lockie, pleasure to have you back on the show as well.
3: Always a pleasure
1: to be on the show, Craig.
0: The White Flag Lap with Rod Nash is up next here on the V8 Insiders. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. If you're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we speak to FPR co-owner Rod Nash. In part one of the interview, we find out that 2013 was his first Bathurst, but now 2014 is all about the championship.
2: Uh, basically, it sounds simple, um, but uh, <clears throat> you know, I've been—it's uh, my 17th year in this category, <clears throat> and. Um, yeah, I don't think any year gets any easier. So that's what makes uh, you know our whole um, sporting category uh, uh, continually um, strong. For that reason, that the competitive nature of it just never goes away. And um, but the problem is, like anything in sport, uh, once you get the taste for it, and uh, and you certainly uh, uh, taste the fruits of success. Well, then uh, I think that makes you an even um, uh, bigger beast to. Uh, Hunger-wise, to go over it, so so you've just got to keep working at it, and um, you know, have everything squeaky clean, and as I call it, all the ducks in a row. So, so behind the scenes, um, you know, we've been doing a lot of work with our with our staff, and um, you know, again, um, it's not just the drivers that actually have to uh, cut it; it's the whole team approach. So, so we've spent a bit of um, bit of time internally with. Uh, with um, uh, organisational psychology work, and uh, and I think um, everyone's benefiting from that. And so it just helps you keep realigning on what you do, and and uh, it does literally take. Uh, when we use the cliche of a team effort, um, there's a lot of people behind there, and uh, um, so yeah, just chipping away at all that sort of stuff. This year, we see the grid drop from
0: twenty eight to twenty five. You just bought. Three more licenses last year with the rusty French, and it's a very difficult time for people to be able to afford to go motor racing. How, as a team of four, can you get all the economies of scale in a line to uh, to keep everything at the front?
2: Well, that that doesn't change that modelling. I mean, you know, again, I've been working away at this for years on the R and R thing, and uh, and you know, I wouldn't want to be as a single car team. And I changed that modelling years ago to sort of keep up with um, that question. So um, you know, at the at the higher end, there's lots of uh, uh, as much and all. There may have been some um, licences uh, handed back in. It, it's had no, in my book, it's had no um, uh, uh, no effect on the um, the overall value of the of the brand. And and there's um, plenty of. Uh, the high end teams still doing what they do and um, and the economies of scale still in your in your business plan and so for FPR, you know the four car model is a is a great model for amateur, amateurisation. Nothing's changed and it just gives you the, the platform to be able to do a whole lot more with.
0: Is it a, a concern twenty five cars on the grid as opposed to twenty eight for the spectacle of racing?
2: Not at all. I mean to be perfectly honest, I mean you know, would anyone really notice three cars not there? I mean, it's like anything. You know, um, yeah. You, you know, two people on a court with tennis. Well, you know, um, obviously they can't reduce by 50 percent because then you haven't got someone to um, hit the ball too. In our case, we, you know, as you just said, we got 28. You go to 25. I mean, look. You know, when I first come in, um, my first Bathurst, uh, because I didn't uh, get to qualify. Um, uh, uh, because of an accident that happened on the Friday, I mean, I remember started in um, um, uh, one past my car number, which was I started in 56 position. So that's how many cars we had in the uh, what we'd be deemed to be, even though we were in V8 Super cars which is the old touring car days, <clears throat> and that's how the business has evolved. So it's been you know steadily reducing, and uh, but just getting stronger on the way now. Of course, it wasn't. It wasn't planned that it should have reduced any further than 28. But you know, we know the reasons why. Because just uh, economic conditions, which is all post GFC, has taken its toll on on a couple. So, uh, but it's not a negative of the of the brand. It's just the structure of those teams at that point in time weren't in the position to <clears throat> be strong to sell to their sponsors. Um, you know, compared to the higher teams that are still. Investing plenty of money into it, and um, and you, you know you do have to um, you do have to dig deep with your business plans, like any business. So,
0: I guess uh, now you model on twenty five. Do you think you have to model on twenty five for the next five years, or do you think it will get a kick up almost immediately into the uh, twenty fifteen and sixteen season?
2: Um. Obviously, I'm not going to answer the question honestly because. Uh, we all work behind the scenes on future plans so I'm not about to talk about any of that but having said that though I mean uh, my gut feel that I'd be very very surprised surprised that those three licenses in the future whether that be next year or the year beyond won't be taken back up again because I don't think uh, when we're running 28 there's always people banging on the door for more then so uh, I can't see how uh, we will be running 25 cars in the future I, I believe it will be 28 and that'll just be as the economics and that and the successful you know um, teams in the sport um, just keep growing so uh, there will not be enough licenses uh, to meet everyone's needs and that's my view of where the 28 will just uh, pretty well automatically re-establish itself for this
0: year can you see? A, a good business model for wild cards, particularly in the, the Pertec Cup?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, it's a perfect year for the wild cards to step it up um, because that's just sort of... I mean, it's like anything same with themselves. I mean, Car of the Future was... You know, You really had to focus on it and so for FPR they dropped their DBS program and they've been doing it for years. So <clears throat> this year sees them return to DBS again because Car of the Future's is post now and, um... And so you start working away with those kind of programs, which then automatically breeds, uh, you know, opportunity for wild cards. And as we've seen last, last year with the Xbox One entry, I mean, hugely successful. So I think that's uh, that, that style of example is great for our category to be able to, you know, to beef the enduro um, show up uh, opposed to the normal championship.
0: That's all we have time for on this week's show as the checker flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now.
1: Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.